You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Yo, this is the Picture Be Rolled Show. I'm your host, Chauncey Squintily a Party. And uh, today, I got my buddies, uh, Beard Bros, coming on the show during these uh, weird, weird times. I know everybody's been on lockdown and uh, a lot of weird stuff. Just so everybody knows, we won't be passing any type of joints or anything. Everything will be uh, uh, personal. And uh, we want to keep it kosher, so to speak, you know? But, uh, you know, thanks for coming on, guys. I'm glad that you guys could make it out in this, uh, these weird times. I, I like to say weird because it's very, it's very foreign to, uh, to me what's going on out in the streets. It's been, it's been a little, uh, a little nerve-wracking and, and a lot of anxiety, I guess. It, it's wild. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll be 50 in a few years and never seen anything like it. We appreciate you having us out. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, so I normally, uh, if anybody doesn't know who you guys are, you guys are definitely, uh, huge influencers in the space and cultivators and, uh, have a great name in the game. But if you want to give me a little bit of background on, uh, how you guys, uh, how you guys got your start and, uh, what brings you into the cannabis field, I guess. Yeah. Um, like a lot of people, we started out East coast, just, uh, looking to cultivate for ourselves initially. Then uh, realizing we had a passion and a talent for it and looking to do it as much as we were able to East Coast until uh, around 2010 when they started handing out really long sentences for those types of things. We uh, realized we needed to make a a trek west. Initially that uh, got us to Colorado in 2011, in between 2010 and 2011 for about a year and then uh, eventually out here to Cali and... uh, been on that slow, perpetual hustle, that grind since then to build something out of nothing. Yeah, and I mean, you guys are definitely right there right now, too, to have the, the, the brand really respected and, and going in a good way. That facility you guys are building with Matt is incredible. looks amazing. Can't wait to see the product coming out of it. Yeah, we're, we're very happy to be part of that project. <clears throat> it's, um, it's something we've been looking forward to. Uh, being able to get a new facility up. As we know, in the traditional market, we didn't have all these nice gadgets in all of our our facilities. Our yeah. facilities were sometimes put together on shoestrings and were just efficient, not necessarily the best, but just, just ways to produce a good product. But these new facilities going up now with the foam walls and, and the rolling trays and the new lighting that's out, it, it's amazing. Yeah, and I think I think that the most underrated thing in the rec market compared to the black market and what we're used to is the plumbing. The plumbing is way different. <laughs> no, there's not like a lot of drain. hand watering going yeah, on anymore. I mean, and even if there is, it's like proper drainage, less floods. I'm sure. Like like, you know, we were we were so building these things ourselves, and it was so like you did what you had to do with what you could. That was going to be my comment. A lot less do it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. All the DI the DIY stuff is is kind of like catching the curb. Scott at Rare Dankness. Uh, less less bro, more pro. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um, so you guys are lifers, man. I mean, that pilg- pilgrimage from back east to the west coast is that's huge to end up in Colorado because that was the first thing, you know, legitimate. And and like you said, you were trying to get to somewhere where you could, you know, fulfill your passion without 
without taking the risk that everybody was taking. And I mean, it's still taking, especially back east and in the Midwest and, and those red states across the country, you know? Yeah, well, absolutely. For us, it was about being able to uh, cultivate a product and, and be able to sell it locally, legally. I mean, that was our whole thing of coming west was that they were giving out long sentences back east and they didn't look like they were going to be getting any quick progress on, on legalization. It has come along more than I ever thought it would since we've been out west. But, it, you know, back in 2009 and 10, when we were gearing up to leave, there wasn't really anything on the horizon for the East Coast. And um, that's why we came West. And really, California back in, like, 2010, in that era, was the last chance you had to be able to set up a nonprofit for a couple thousand dollars and get some patients and be able to state legally cultivate cannabis. So Yeah, for those that don't know, I mean, what he was telling you is how to start a— uh how to start a cooperative, which is basically a, a co-op. A lot of these uh, cultivators and early dispensaries were a cooperative of people, which is a group of people that basically put their doctor recommendations together so that their plant count can be a certain amount and that these things could operate. That was the Prop 215 days. Um, shout out to Dennis Perone for changing the world with that one, man. That was a game changer for all of us. Without a doubt. So... Uh, are you still shocked? I mean, I know we were in Vegas together and we went to dinner out there, but uh, I was shocked and I'm still shocked in, uh, in most places. Like sometimes when I walk into some lawyer meetings, some city meetings, some walkthroughs with fire departments and things like that, where I've just kind of had like that moment of realization that, yo, this is, this shit is real. Like, like we, we really made it. We beat these odds and we're able to make this thing like a reality. You know what I mean? Do you guys get those moments where you're just like, because you made the pilgrimage and to like be in that space where you're like, yo, this is something that I can, I can see f being forever. You know what I mean? Or, or happening for the rest of our lives. Ab you know? Absolutely. Still get goosebumps all the time thinking about it because coming from the East Coast where it was, there was never a culture of it. I mean, California at least had a culture from the 90s on. We were still getting locked up in 2010 on the East Coast, so there was no culture like that. So a lot of people, and not a negative thing, but a lot of people out here don't realize how how good it is to be able to legally and cultivate cannabis. Um, being able to have a, a, a building that you have your name on you can drive up to as opposed to never taking the same route and parking down the street. And I remember back in the day we used to go to hydroponic shops that were th – four cities over, you know, an hour and a half away so you could make sure you weren't getting followed. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you'd put in a lot of extra work just to, just to hide in plain sight, so to speak, because you're right. I mean, doubling up, taking extra long trips, never taking the same route. Like, nobody else has to think about this when they get up to go to work every day, you know what I mean? And, and you know, everybody knows that I'm a big uh, supporter of the plant, but, I mean, in all honesty, like, a guy cultivating uh, an indoor plant breed i mean what what is the the harm in that and uh well know, they, i mean to be criminally charged the way that it is i mean it's 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 a racket guys get up and want to go to work you it's know a I mean? racket i mean seven hundred thousand people even after legalization for 33 states you got seven hundred thousand people being incarcerated for possession still yeah it's a racket it's not that they think it's dangerous it's that they like the money uh, i mean yeah. yeah i get that <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we get that unfortunately um but we're changing that and, it, and it's amazing and part of what california brings to the nation is is destigmatizing this cannabis because there's people out here that have been smoking cannabis for decades and they're business owners and they're doing well and they're healthy and it's completely the opposite of what we've been told since the you know 
just say no days of the early 80s. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I grew up, I, I'm a, I'm 81, so the D.A.R.E. movement was, that was that was my group. Like, that program was aimed directly at my age group, you know what I mean? Like, we they used to have the McGruff come into the schools and the whole nine and do the whole thing. They had the little briefcase with all the little sectioned out drugs. And I remember the stigma of being like, yo, pot was a bad, that was a bad deal, you know what I mean? It was, bad people did that and this and that. I still remember seeing, like, I remember seeing bongs at my parents' friend's house randomly. Like, you have these memories when you're five and six and, and these ages. And I, and I do remember, like, thinking, what the fuck is that? I remember seeing a dirty glass bong as, like, a That's five-year-old a- somewhere in somebody's <laughs> bathroom, like, in a cabinet or something. I shouldn't have been looking at it and being like. It's an interesting vase. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what is that? That's got to be for drugs or something. That's terrible. Yeah, I figured that out at an early age because he's six years older than I am. Oh, yeah, so that, that By the time helps. I was 10, 11, 12, I was finding those things in his room and going, <laughs> what is that? And by 13, trying it myself, so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's when I started, too, 13. Must be a... I was, I was 12 years old on the field at my seventh grade uh, junior high school with a group of kids, and that was the first time I smoked. Ironically, the first time I smoked with, was with a friend. Of, I lived in central Pennsylvania at the time. But it was a friend of mine whose parents were professors at Cal State Fullerton, and they had moved to state college because they were teaching at Penn State. So it was him and his older brother who was in college yeah. that I smoked with first when I was like 13. So. And mine was when I was 13 when he picked me up from YMCA basketball practice. Yeah? <laughs> and you let him hit it, huh? That was, hey. that was my recovery after What was practice. it? Was it out of a pipe? I think it was actually a, either a pipe or a joint. I'm not sure which. But it was, it was four of us in a car, and it was getting passed around, so... I, I want to say I think I was metal pipes that I, we used I, to have. I think it was the metal pipe with the uh, little compartment in the middle that you always yeah, threw yeah, a nug yeah, in yeah. and uh-huh. let it get nice and resonated and thinking right. you were smoking the really dank then. Oh my god, the resin days <laughs> before we knew anything. Yeah, I remember oh, scraping <laughs> scraping pipes and bongs and smoking that and being like, oh, I could get so many hits out of this. The struggle's yes. real. Yeah, the struggle is real. And, and yo, so you kids today, you have no you have no idea like how good you have it. You're just lucky you weren't in the early stage of the dab scene because if you think about <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of the kids in the young twenties and late teens right now don't even know what it is to go through weed and have to pick out seeds and stems. Oh yeah. No, no, no. That's what I I uh, definitely smoke and stress. And that was this is California this is LA. I think there was probably a a little bit of, but you know, you're a kid. I was smoking bullshit, and that's what it was. It was, you know, we had uh, we had these dudes in a building. Shouts to the to the connect, the first one, and uh, we must have been teenagers, early teens, and uh, they would uh, they sold five dollar sacks. Uh, they had five dollar stress sacks, but looked like a little like a little gram bag, basically like plucked oh. full of stress, and then they sold five dollar Garcia Vega stress blunts. The green leaves, right? <laughs> so it depended on if you want a blunt or you wanted to smoke bowls or whatever. But that's how we started smoking. That was our first uh, plug. Well, you know, I got an, I have a really good, funny, traditional story. Okay, uh, cool. One of the times, well, I started smoking then, but I then moved to the uh, to Easton, Pennsylvania, which is on the uh, east side of Pennsylvania. We used to go to um, a place on the south side of Bethlehem, and we would go through and get dime bags. Uh, you know, $10 bags of yeah. weed. It was, you know, not a whole lot. I guess uh, I'm going to guess it was about a gram and usually it was full of seeds. Every now and then they would get you, they would stuff some alfalfa in there. Oh, yeah. And this was a drive through It wasn't a good area of town, so you didn't go back and complain. No, you're not going to say nothing. So we decided, well, if they want to start ripping us off, we can get back at them. So we started taking $10 bills and $1 bills. We'd cut them in half, tape them back together, and fold it up. So you'd hit one guy coming into the projects, 
with a $10 bill that has a one, it's only half of a $10 yeah. bill, get one, get one on the way out. And if they didn't find each other later on to split the $11, they didn't get anything either. So <laughs> that was how, that was how we got back at them for, uh, for giving us bunk, uh, pillow. We used to call them pillows. They were little pillow bags. Yo, you gotta get, you gotta get creative. That's an amazing story actually. And like, yo, the struggle was real. At least you got, you got back. And, and I, I feel like even in their shoes, I feel like I would respect that after it was over with. Like these motherfuckers. Nobody ever. Hey, y'all got the other half of that. <laughs> and then they get the split eleven. <laughs> so damn, yeah. we just got halved. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it, the times we're in. If you would have asked back then, in the you know the late '80s, even in the early '90s, um, if we'd be sitting on a podcast talking about how we came up through cannabis, I would have said you're crazy. So. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a. Uh, well, it's a blessing. I'm, I'm happy to see it in the state that it is. And I'm happy to see that people are openly, freely able to talk about it and uh, express their love for it. And even at like, a, even with celebrities or people in the public eye and for, you know, even service workers and people that, that, you know, they couldn't, they had to hide the fact that they, you know, they benefited from the plant. And now here we are in a crisis, and it's deemed essential services. Yeah, which it is an essential service. It absolutely is, but it hasn't been deemed that way. No, and that w that felt that felt amazing. I mean, I actually talked to my buddy uh, Manny that uh, runs Green Dragon, um, and uh, he Shout said that Ma to me. Shout out Manny! Just saw him a couple days ago. Did you? Yeah, that's the homie. Um, yeah, for those that don't know, I, I managed a shop for quite a while, so that's my family. And uh, Manny's. A fucking pioneer and doing well and uh what he said to me though in this text history was uh was that we got deemed an essential business like he was just like i mean people don't know the financial stress that everybody's been been in through this this crossover into these these white markets but uh he was like i mean he just felt like grateful and i could tell like in the way that he wrote it that he was just really grateful that obviously a lot of people are out of a job right now and that he was still deemed necessary and essential and it, and it is an essential thing obviously we know because we know how powerful the plant is and and uh also the good medical benefits that it has um and that it really does help people get through you know people that have pain problems and painkillers and opiate addiction and stuff like that like it this is a this is a necessary thing well yeah i mean it, it, let's talk about that even i mean first of all you couldn't even just shut down cultivation to begin with or within a few days everything's gone so i mean yeah. even, even beyond that the the cannabis industry and especially in california could not have couldn't have taken it no if you had shut cannabis down for a month or two oh, that would have been, been the end of the entire cannabis market i mean in it would have cost it would have cost billions of dollars yeah. and nobody would have i don't think anybody would have survived it no so as as much as i you know i don't want to i hate i don't want to see people at risk but i also realize that it is a medication that people need so in, in a roundabout way it was it was a good thing for cannabis that it didn't fall under and, and get shut down. Yeah, and I guess uh, I guess the the shops have been doing really well, and I think it was good for the the legal market as well to like to keep that going and keep them them because then also people it's you know you're locked in the house you know for there's there's a lot of anxiety these days exactly and it's definitely a, a it definitely helps you get through your day, right? I remember Cat Williams in his old speech about about weed, and he said it's got that fucking in it. He's like, <laughs> you know, fuck them bills, right? <laughs> fuck that light bill. I got twelve candles, been waiting to burn them bitches. So <laughs> it definitely like gets us through through whatever is is aching. And when in a time when you're just sitting around and thinking about 
could be potentially thinking about negative things. Hopefully it inspires people to to appreciate this time and to, yeah, to I mean, grow if, from it. If you had to get locked up in your house, I'd much rather see everybody smoking than drinking. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> Definitely. I, think, I do agree. It's the lesser it's the lesser of those two evils. I can agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the let's talk about Beard Brother Farms, Beard Bros Farms a little bit. Um you guys have this nice cultivation that's being built right now. You also have RSO oil, which is big up for that because that is kind of something that I feel like one is the absolute best medicine in cannabis, you know what I mean? And also that I feel like it's it got lost a little bit in translation of this crossover market. The vape market was such a big draw for everybody and especially across the country that I feel like there's other products that can be made from from cannabis that that are uh, underappreciated and, and undervalued. So when I see you guys doing the RSO everywhere, that's that's awesome. Yeah, we we felt we we saw that too, and actually that's why we got more into it, um, making it for the LA market that we were serving, even in the you know 13, 14, 15, because we would take our our flowers in and and we would see that people never had a consistent. Uh, RSO supply. They, they would have one brand in one time we were there, another brand or yeah. no brand, and they would tell us we can't find it. Was it was hit or miss, bro. Yeah. And I remember just from running the shop, as I, I bought everything. So it was like I had a couple different vendors, but it was hit or miss, and they weren't around close. So like sometimes I would have good RSO and sometimes I wouldn't. And to be honest, from a shop standpoint, I mean, if people out there that are listening don't know, Rick Simpson oil is like is one of the most beneficial cancer drugs there is. It's It's been proven to to do wonderful things in concoction with other treatments and uh, to shrink cancer cells, actually. And uh, when people come in for RSO, they come in because they need it. This ain't the coming in because somebody wants to take the edge off. This is the customer that's coming in because they're, like, stage four terminal, and, like, this is either helping them be able to eat or helping them be able to sleep or helping them get through their pain. Or, or helping them have the hope that they can make it through this this uh, this fight. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I mean, it, it's sad that that something like cannabis oil is not the first choice with healthcare. Unfortunately, like you said, it's the last choice. They, yeah. They've tried everything else. I'm at stage four. I'm gonna die. Yeah. What can I do? Maybe we should have tried that first. But to get back to why we did it, we we found out in the it started. We really got heavy into it. 14, 15, 16, because what we noticed was everybody was using a lot of their products uh, other than the top shelf nugs. They were making, everybody had to have shatter and this, that, the other, um, you know, that whole uh, dichotomy of a, of a relationship that cultivators had with the extractors is, we won't even get into that one yeah, now, but it was that was an interesting one. But we decided, hey, instead of being heady boys and having this amazing shatter, why don't we make a product that helps people? And so that's yeah. how we kind of got into it. We also noticed there was a gap in the market. So we thought, you know, it's much better that way. We're providing a product that's helping people needed. Yeah. Um, and needed. So we got into that, and, and people appreciated that. We'd show up with our flowers, and, oh, yeah, you need some RSO. We got that, too. And we, we had a consistent product. We were getting it tested. Uh, testing before testing was required because you wanted people to know what they were putting in their body, especially if they're coming in for some type of life-threatening illness to that. But as far as the RSO goes, it's, it's the closest essence to the plant you can get. Yeah. In a concentrated form. I think um, so. Yeah. You lose very little with the alcohol extraction process. Yeah. Um, so for us, it, it's an amazing medicine. And, and the other reason we like it, it's a base, right? You can make a sublingual out of it. You can make a topical out of it. You can eat it edibly. 
Uh, most RSO, if it's done properly, can be smoked, although it's not something that we actually advocate because it's not made for taste. It's made for medication. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it can, it be, can smoked. be smoked. It can be smoked. And people used to smoke it. Oh, that yeah. was the first form of concentrate. It probably was. Our first yeah, dabs we were, were, lining, were R- RSO. Yeah, My we were first dabs were it. RSO in yeah. Colorado. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> in 2010 on a skillet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the reality is of it is, though, also it, it started out as a cancer-carrying drug, but it is something much more beneficial on an everyday basis. Both Bill and I. Yeah, I believe and, microdosing or even dosing, depending on people's tolerance, is definitely something that we should look at as a whole in society as something that would be beneficial to us long-term for all types of reasons. We take it about two hours before sleep every night, a small one-tenth of a gram dose, and it provides that proper rest and recovery that you need. Everybody now with all their phones, always, you know, all that visual Blue stimulus, stimulus you, you, yeah. you get into that deep REM sleep to the point where you're waking up seven to eight hours later, Refresh. going sh- straight to the bathroom because you didn't get up at any point during the night, knowing that you got that deep sleep, not that I'm tossing and turning all night, and literally as soon as you hit the pillow, you're down. So... Just from a rest and recovery standpoint, it's really beneficial. But it, the reason it's an underrepresented product is people don't know about it. The, all the new consumers went to what they're comfortable with, joints, flour, eventually into the vape carts. But they haven't really explored out into any of those fringe categories of, of cannabis into a lot of the sublingual, topical, uh, dermal approaches. Which are the most beneficial. Yeah, from a, medical standpoint. Of, from a but, medical standpoint. But, but from a shop perspective, they're not high-volume no. products, so that's why there's a difficulty of getting them into consumers' hands. Exactly, yes. And it was something, like I said, like I needed all of those things from, from a shop standpoint in the 215 days, but, you know, the good value product, like a good product, something that I could stand behind in a lot of those fields was the toughest thing to come by, mm-hmm. you know, and to have that steady consistency. So that's really great. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, because I know you guys are big, uh, big connoisseurs. What is, what's your favorite strain at the moment in the current flavor climate that we see? You guys still OG guys, or? I mean, I was just going to say, actually, I, I mean, if I had to pick a strain to be on a desert island, I couldn't have any others. It would be OG for me. There you and, go. And maybe because I'm an East Coast guy, and it wasn't readily available when we got it, it was oh, coveted. because you're a smoker, and you know that 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 shit's <laughs> always going to work. It's, it's it always going to taste good, and it's going to be, you know, that if I was on a desert island, I would feel the same way. And, yeah, I'm from L.A. and part of the movement, and, like, I get, like, OG has been a big part of my life specifically, but also you guys on the East Coast, because if you could get your hands on some real OG back there, I mean, come on. It was, you, are, it was you, fi- you knew it was fire. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as the new stuff goes, that, um, what are you most excited about to throw in the facility? Um well, I'm most excited First we're going to be growing our extreme cream again finally. Okay, you we haven't flowered cream? it in two years. Okay, we've got it held for us at places. Okay, uh, we're going to get it back in. I'm really looking forward to flowering that one. But I mean, I, and I'll, I maybe I'm dating myself and I'm not on the cutting edge. But the GMOs and all the wedding cakes and things like that, I I like them. They're, they're, GMOs yeah. great. Yeah, um, well, and the reality is, I know there's several other people looking to do the same line of thinking that we have, but we want to get a lot of those old school strains back in and the proper phenos of them and start growing them and bringing them to the legal market the right way, not yeah. just by name only. Yeah, no, 100%. So, yeah, we're putting Kevin Jodry on on call that we're going to need some of them old strains from him once we get going. <laughs> there you go, Kev. They coming. Um, yeah, I mean, also having the background of managing a shop, and I knew that I always had to have, like, certain things. Like, yeah, I, I probably have 10 OGs on my shelf at any given time, but I— I still have a blue dream. I always have a blue dream. I always have a jack. I always have like certain sativa strains that are very niche and different, but 
people get. I'm them. not going to well, buy a lot of them, but I need them. I have to have them because mm-hmm. I have I have patients that come in specifically for those things. And it's really because we haven't done enough R&D to know why people like that particular TERP profile, but it's that particular cannabinoid exactly. and TERP profile that people are, are attracted to is why that always sticks around as an old tried and true. Well, and even, and Kevin will tell you, they have, they have success with getting people off of narcotics and opiate addictions with OGs. Yeah. There's something about the terpene profile and OGs that are similar to and aid in the withdrawal symptoms of opiates. Yeah, and I mean... OG is definitely the strongest, done well, it's the strongest strain there is as far as I'm concerned as, as like actual potency, but it tests normally in like the 25 to 28 range, you know what I mean? And uh, there's things that test into the high 30s now that definitely don't have near the kick that OG does. So what we find is that that TERP profile you're talking about is, it's is sa- way more important it's all about than... It, it's the same way with our extreme cream. Everybody loves that profile and loves that effect from it, but it, the numbers that it comes out with are not off the charts it's the combination i we, we've deemed it for several years the tuning fork effect like it's a it's, yeah. it's a particular it hit that ratio and a particular person's template or palette however you want to describe it and it and it, and it hit right in that right frequency and that's why it works for them and there's just some of those that have broader appeal that's the stigma we need to beat with within the industry that everybody's going on this higher thc and and shops are paying by thc yeah. levels and things like that yeah i will tell you right now some of the, i've got 18 percent strains that will get you higher than a 30 percent strain all day long yeah and not only just not just they're more pleasing too is the effect because a lot of these 35 and 36 and a lot of the early like punch heavy crosses and a lot of these things that just had no real kick to them it's what i like to call like it was like old bc bud it, like it looked great but it was generic and it doesn't it didn't really have any terp flavor to it. And then the other way to look at it too is is Marinol. Marinol's THC. Yeah. But it's not the same. No. It's not the same at all. So if you're breeding in THC, you're only gonna have so many percentages of cannabinoids and terpenes. You can yeah. only have so much. Because there needs to be plant material along with exactly. it. Exactly. So when you start getting more and more THC, you're obviously having less of other things. So to me, I just equated to Marinol. Marinol, sure, it'll get me high, but I don't like it. No. Right? It's not the same. But now you could take something that had all your terps and other cannabinoids you want in it with a half the amount of THC and have a better feeling. So that that's kind of how I equate this. Everybody wanting to be higher, higher, higher in THC. It, it, it's, it's, it's not really relevant, I don't think. Well, and it's interesting to see how it's playing out differently here, West Coast versus East Coast. Bill's girlfriend and several of other friends of ours are in the Pennsylvania scene, and people there are literally going in and purchasing product based on the myrcene level, the karyophylline level. They're looking, they've figured out what particular terpene or cannabinoid works for them, and that's what they're actually buying by. The THC percentage is secondary to them, and it's because they're, they, they weren't the black market like we were for 20 plus years where THC was what everybody was trying to grow. There are more little bit more of an educated market than they are true medical yeah they've never had recreational and they don't even well the other thing too is most because we're not required to and because the packaging restrictions are such in california you rarely see a terp profile yeah ever i mean mean, it's expensive well it's well you have to do the test but it's a matter of getting it on your packaging yeah i mean for people to see that part is now literally my girlfriend was saying pennsylvania people come in because they saw the terp profile online and they go in for that product period so it's, it's just a whole different but I'm, I'm happy to see that and that's what yeah, Jeff that's and I great. have noticed being from, from the East Coast but living on the West Coast is the West Coast is ahead in a lot of things but because the East Coast is developing in a vacuum away from the West Coast culture so to yes. speak they're developing different things and some of that stuff is better yeah uh, dare I say it it's better but it is there's a lot of things like 
looking for your medicine with other cannabinoids and terpenes rather than what is the THC level? Oh, I'm not buying anything under 25, right? They don't even look at that, so to speak. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the East Coast, a lot of the city areas in Jersey and, like, down the Philly, like, down the New Jersey Turnpike and stuff, like, a lot of those big old industrial warehouse type, like, Detroit is, like, come on, man. How, how many cool grows could you put downtown Detroit? Like, that's a big place. And, like, honestly... California has great weather, and especially for for depth and for for outdoor. But indoor, it doesn't have. There's traits about it that I'm not like super happy with. It's a little hot. There's there's things about it that like I feel like there's gonna be other places in oh, the market yeah. that open up, and that maybe they're gonna just, you know, they're gonna exceed what we're capable of doing out here. From that, the from the production side, California is somewhat on borrowed time. Once we get to federal legalization, people aren't going to maintain the majority well, of their expensive. operations. Here. It's for, expensive for that reason, for first, well, just to start off. And, yeah. and, and it's not centrally located if you're no, trying to do nationwide too. distribution. One other thing that I was thinking of in this whole thing is that like, it's a product that needs to stay fresh. I don't even like packaging and eighth packaging because I feel like that's too small of a quantity for it to stay fresh and really give like somebody you know. Like an ounce jar, I feel like, is the only way at this point to even keep it like. We can't do that because of taxes. <laughs> is the reality of it. Yeah. You can't, you have to package an eights. Yeah. Because they end up being 40 to 60 to 80 bucks. Yeah. Right? It's crazy. So you yeah. uh, were forced to it. But um, what Jeff was saying too, and we love California, but the reality of it is if it's cheaper and you can produce the same product somewhere else, it's not going to stay in downtown in a warehouse. No. It's going to go to Oklahoma. Well, I mean, and then they ship it one way to New York and the other way to L.A. I mean, there's a reason there's all kinds of massive grows in Palm Springs, Desert Hot Springs, Cathedral City, California City. They're all servicing the L.A. market. They just weren't going to operate on L.A. pricing. Well, they couldn't. They yeah, couldn't well, operate. LA, LA, LA had the yeah, LA is a whole different beast, but yeah. we we feel it, it'll end up being like a commodity at some point to where you you're it's going to be down to the to the pennies and the nickels, and you're not going to be able to cultivate where your rent is triple what it is somewhere else, and your yeah. electricity cost is triple. What, so I feel like LA will always have a craft market, and that's what it'll turn into. Yeah. And I hope that they get on like they get on board with like. If city can get their head out of their houses, so to speak, and start with this uh, on-site consumption thing, and we can start building like craft brewery-style stuff where we can focus strains and put certain growers in them, and and like people can really taste the market, then I think that model is is that's exciting. The, well, that's the one thing with LA. LA will always and forever be the epicenter of culture for cannabis, primarily because you have Hollywood here and people are watching what Hollywood does. But beyond that, like you said. So many of the people that have come up and have cultivated an traditional market here that grew that fire that everybody had came from here. The knowledge is here. The culture is here. You can't take that away. But as far as square footage and physical, like yeah. when, when you're talking about servicing the entire country and it's a federally legalized product, it, it, it's going to be different. When I see the brick buildings in Brooklyn and when I'm driving like through the city and stuff like that, and like anytime I'll be, I'm on, I'm on one of those those bridges or those freeways and I see all these big five-story brick buildings that I know have 12-foot ceilings and like I get excited about it like makes me think I always think cultivating so I'm just like oh my gosh yep. can you imagine the spot I could build in be that awesome thing? <laughs> we do the same thing every time I see a big old building I go oh grow that'd be awesome in there yeah <laughs> well and the reality is they need to do something with the on-site consumption or something to that effect because the brick and mortar model is on borrowed time as well and, and, and it's being sped up right now by this virus oh, and yeah. seeing how much you can do curbside and oh, delivery only and how much the actual showroom experience is not necessary. 
it, is going to be the next factor in how, how have, we are able to try to control cost and increase revenue when people are struggling as much as Yeah, once you have brand equity like across the board, then the delivery platform just crushes everything. Dispensaries have to be destinations. Yeah, they do. They're, they're not. You can't just have a dispensary in a strip mall and people are going to come to it. Oklahoma's about to figure that out. Yes. Because there's so many. Yeah, they didn't, so I didn't many. understand that. That's, well, I mean, honestly, I don't mind that. Because you know what happens? The cream rises to the crop. Of course, 100%. Business-wise and cultivation-wise. Yeah. So you either do good business in your eyes or you do cultivation in your eyes. And if you don't, you're going to be one of those empty stores in a strip mall. And for and, those that, that, that don't don't know like you can build an amazing cultivation and if the wrong dude is showing up every day it's not going to be what it is elsewhere you know what i mean oh no there there's there's still craft in it and, that, and that's why these big companies are failing you can't yeah, just hire 100%. somebody with book knowledge to run your cannabis facility it doesn't translate or somebody that grew plants or like i mean i'm no i'm not downing any of those people it's great college i don't have a college degree me in horticulture but i can do things that a person with a college degree can't do but there's things that they can do that i can't but in cannabis, there's things that I can do that they can't. So. Exactly, yeah. Uh, go ahead with the Oklahoma thing that you were talking about, though. Um, I was just going to say the cream's going to rise to the top. They have, I think it's only $2,500. You need to be a resident. It's $2,500. You can open up a shop. It's easy to open, Yeah. right? So what's going to happen is you have to— there's nothing in Oklahoma. There's nothing in Oklahoma, so they're servicing 4, 4 million people. Yeah. Now, the advantage is if these guys get in there and they build up a thriving business in Oklahoma and they do well. well and they're Dallas one of, pops off. That's well, great. <laughs> well, when federal comes around, Oklahoma yeah. it's is going to be positioned yeah. such like no other state. If they if they legalize it federally like next year, Oklahoma is going to be, I mean, other than Oregon and Washington are pretty well off too. Well, they've got be wide a, open land. Yeah. It's cheap. It's cheap. That's it's what I'm saying. It's a great space. It's on the corridor to Chicago. It's right above Texas, which makes total sense for that. Yeah. So they um, could do well. But what I was getting at is they're, they're going to figure out you have to be a destination. You're going to have to have a good cultivator. And there's going to have to be some kind of draw. And people are going to have to know about it. Yeah. That's what we're seeing the most is even if you grow the best cannabis in the world, you might not be able to sell it because nobody knows who you are. So marketing becomes huge as well. So anybody who's jumping on and doing those things in Oklahoma will succeed. They'll be one of the Oklahoma brands to make it. But let's face it, they have like, what, over 2,000 dispensaries already for 4 million people. They can't all make it. No, no, it's <laughs> so. not going to make it. I mean, it's a tough – It's a. there's a steep learning curve in the business that people are unaware of. And obviously some of the people that are fresh-faced and really into it, they will make it. You know what I mean? Because you never know what model is going to work. But I do feel like – they're biting off more than they can chew in most senses. I f we found that early just from touring people's stuff and, like, seeing a lot of the, the first, like, white market stuff even out of the city because it was still medical here, um, like in the OC and other places that were, like, it was obvious that people hadn't done this before. I'm sure there's nightmares going on because oh, yeah. all you need is $2,500 and a roof, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you're, and you're now a cultivator. Yeah. That is somewhat of a recipe for disaster. I'm not, I'm, you know. Uh, but I, I really think that the people that get in there and do it good will do well. Because let's if you don't grow well, one or two crops of nothing coming back, oh, or it's done. garbage and yeah, you're done. Yeah, it's not going to work. Uh, even if you're and in And even a, if the company's financed to, like, continue to go, you're just, you're, you're not going to be the one. I would have rather so. seen, like, a happy medium here. California went way too far on regulation and taxation. Uh, I believe Oklahoma could have been a little bit more structured, but I'll be honest with you. What I like is their freedom. Like, they wrote a bill that said... You can't take my gun, right? You can't fire me from my job if I have a medical card for, for testing positive for cannabis. And we're going to make it accessible for the average person to be able to have a chance. They were the only people that have done it since California in like the last two decades.
you know, and let's be honest, like, I think California would be taking in more tax dollars right now if they used the same model. Of course they oh, would. Absolutely. There would be no black market. Let's start there. Well, I don't think there wouldn't be any. But it would I be mean, smaller. You'll never get rid yeah, of it. No, no, of course but, not. But, but I mean, be- in the sense of like, yo, if it took uh, any one of these cultivators out here, they're still producing black market uh, flour, and you told them that they could have a spot for $2,500 or even something reasonable that they could get into something and license their business, it would be licensed. Yeah, 100%. give them some kind of a path. They didn't really even give – California didn't give anybody a path. They no. basically said, here it is. You Inspect can't, the deck on one yeah, side. You and, can't do it, and we're expecting you to disappear off Instagram because you got to go black again. Right? you got to go dark. You yeah. can't, won't be able to do anything. But it's uh, – yeah, they – they we've talked about it since they came out with Prop 64. It was overregulated. It was uh, overtaxed. They would be doing much better. Let's put – if the average consumer could go into a shop and get a tested, trusted product – for like, you know, 20% more, 30% more, maybe, but not 100% more. You're, you're not going to yeah. catch the market when you're doubling the price. People are still going to go to their friend down the street who hasn't gotten them sick. Yeah. And right? I mean, and think about the backside of that. Like, like, we wouldn't have to charge as much if we weren't taxed on, taxed on, taxed on, taxed, every point well, in the business. And then a, a huge local and state licensing fee that it's just like, is this necessary what other business do you charge a licensing fee like this to operate i mean as far as we know none (laughs) plutonium is regulated less than we are and not only that crazy right that you that you basically force a middleman level to and i mean i say that as us having a distribution license but they basically put that in as a tax collection license for people to have and it's and it's not sustainable for those businesses to do sales of new territories and fulfillment for brands and building brands at the rate you're expected to get for that. And then the brands are not getting properly serviced into the retail location. So I mean it's the the the, the keystone point of the supply chain they made not successful not a sustainable successful model. And and they've forced that on it and they've, you've seen they've somewhat corrected on how they're not going to have the distributions collecting the tax going forward. Well, yeah, well, that didn't work out. Well, well, the reality of it is they want a distribution, and most distributions are charging, you know, 10% for sales and 10% for distribution. So you're working on a 20% markup. What businesses work on a 20% markup? That's a 10% margin. The only way you do that is if you're doing multi-million dollar deals on a 10% margin. Restaurants are operating at a 30-plus percent margin. So a cannabis well, distribution. And now anybody that's somebody on the cultivation side is actually distributing their own product, too. Well, so you had that, to. For the outside distributor, I mean, they have no shot. You, We've always said, too, basically the market has three parts. You have production, you have distribution, and you have retail. Mm-hmm. You must control your own destiny in either two parts of those or you must completely be the best at one. Yeah. In other words, you can't just produce unless you're the best because you yeah. can't do it. You can't just distribute. And honestly, I don't even know if you can just distribute. If you did just distribution and you're doing like I was talking about with 20 percent, I don't even know how you function a business like that. You, you can't. So, uh, you know, but if you do distribution in retail, you're, you're cutting out. But you have to cut out paying somebody else for that middle part or you just can't make it. Yeah, and we know that the reason that they did this was because of the huge entrance fee into the business. Well, that, they, that was the thought behind that. And they also did it because they didn't want the state to actually have the responsibility of collecting the taxes. They put that responsibility on distribution licenses to collect the cultivation is, tax and yep. to collect the excise tax and a, then remit it to the state. So they basically made you dangerous. a tax collector. 
at made that, you a tax somebody collector. to actually hold that much income and not be able to bank. Yeah, can't you know bank I mean? either. Can't bank. I mean, cool. I heard I heard of big 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 places that were getting robbed and safes that went missing in the first in the the initial push, and it was like, well, I mean, you kind of asked for that to. To be, you made them a target. All, all you have to do is look at the fact that with metric, you have, have a manifest for the product going to the retail. And then you're picking up, if it's COD, you're picking up the equivalent value in cash. And they are not concerned about how that cash gets from the retail back to the distribution or to wherever. There's no tracking of the cash once you're supposed to get it because they already know the tax amount that they are supposed to get at that point. They're not concerned about it. Yeah, but they should be. I mean, absolutely, they should it's, be. It's a it's a public it's a public the, hazard. The delivery truck you're talking about with, I think, was one hundred and forty five thousand dollars in cash in the back of it that got robbed at a gas station. I, I was talking about uh, a company's like home office up north in the bay, but like it same thing. I mean, they got hit for a good amount of money in the safe, and it was like, and it happens over and over and over again, and it's because you're not allowing these people to you're you're handcuffing them and making them you know do things that are dangerous. Well, yeah, I mean, that all goes back to the feds just not allowing it. My opinion, here's the reason we're where we're at. Uh, the the politicians that were getting elected realized that uh, approximately 10 years ago, we started going over half of the country realizing that cannabis wasn't bad. So they realized that half of their people that were voting for them were now pro-cannabis. So they started getting pro-cannabis. But what they did is, and that was only in order to get elected. So they, they just get elected being pro-cannabis, but they don't re- they're not really pro-cannabis, so to speak. So it's just been gradually bled out, and they don't want to do that until they figure out a way for their constituents, all the big business donors, because we can't donate. That's the, that's the weird, crazy catch-22. Here we are, the billion-dollar business everybody wants a part of, and we can't even get enough money together to lobby like every other industry. So we're just getting passed around and beat up between the politicians and the state governments, and everybody wants to tax us, but we can't even try to form our own laws like every other industry. It's, it's so crazy, but they, so they want to let a little bit out at a time till they figure out how their buddies can get a hold of it. And that's my theory why we don't have any federal yet. And that's why we don't have banking because they just can't do it. It's crazy. Luckily, luckily for us, they're, they might get their hands in it, but we know that they're not going to want to deal with this at some point either. No, they don't want to deal with the whole mess. They just want their tax. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's better. Um, I definitely feel the same way though. And they're realizing it's not the green rush, gold rush, they thought it was, that you actually have to operate a business just like any other industry the to, margins to aren't, sustain The margins it. aren't great. There's work involved. Yeah. You don't just print money. No. There's a lot of work. The margins aren't great. It's it's overly taxed and, and regulated. And, uh, and uh, slowly they're taking the life out of us a little bit, I feel like. Yeah, but you know what? I do take, I do take some... I'm not going to say pleasure, but what they were trying to do was destroy all of us little guys. That's what they wanted to do. They made high uh, levels for entry. You, you know, people couldn't afford it or you weren't able to get a license because there's only so many. So the barriers to entry were high. What they didn't do is they didn't figure that the big boys they allowed in would fail as fast as they are. Yeah. That's only that's the little guy's only advantage right now is that we've been able to outlast the big companies, which we didn't think we could do. But we knew we had to, to couldn't, couldn't be frivolous with money, couldn't make wrong decisions. And then these big companies just came in and spent money like there, there was never going to be a, a shortage of it. They would just get another infusion. Yeah, we'll well, get let's, another let's start with mil. us knowing what, what mistakes not to make right off the gate. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the simple fact is we're operators, not speculators. Exactly. And, and this has been a speculative market for the last couple yes. of years. All the people coming in with money, looking to build something, sell it off and, and get gone. 
we're all in this for the long haul. Otherwise, we weren't doing it five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago when there was massive risk in it. Yeah. We're just hopeful that the reward now will be, you know, ability to live normal lives, yes. ability to make, you know, good, comfortable livings for ourselves. Neither one of That's us are looking to get rich off of this. No. But we are looking to make this a generational business. I mean, it's a lot of work that goes into it, so it definitely has to be it has to be profitable in the sense that I do want to live well and be able to give opportunity to other people through it. And it, it provides tons and tons of jobs done in the, the, the quality way. I mean, obviously, there's nothing like having eyes and hands on plants because that's what, you know, they vibe. They, they vibe out to that. They respond to that. The product isn't the same when you don't care for it or you're not around it as much. Oh, no, that, and that's part of what we liked about it, too. Even if you're in the same grow room every day, it's never the same. It's never Plants the same. are always in a different cycle of yes. life. They're always doing something different. There's always something new, a new challenge. It's never the same. I've, I've never been a cubicle guy. You couldn't put me in a cubicle for eight hours a day. I'd go nuts. Yeah, office so. space for sure. That's <laughs> the same way. You know? You're out there shooting the printers. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to wrap it up here soon. we got a couple minutes left. Uh, anything you guys want to shout out or pump, go ahead and shoot your Instagram out so everybody knows. Uh, Okay, our um, <clears throat> our Instagram is uh, Beard Bros underscore Farms with a PH. Uh, on Facebook, it's Beard Bros Farms. Um, we have BeardBrosFarms.com where we post and put out our original news articles that we do every week. Uh, we have a Friday newsletter we put out. We call it the Friday Sesh. Uh, it's basically a review of the week previous in cannabis. Uh, so if you've been busy and can't keep up the date, it's a great thing uh, to get sent to your inbox every Friday. All we need is your name and email. That's it. One email every Friday, just a, a reminder of what's going on in cannabis. Usually also have a uh, event calendar on there. I think what we're going to be doing going forward as they're popping up more and more is promoting the virtual events that everybody's going to start doing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we I think, need that, that for think, now, yeah, think there's a few coming up early April. Uh, okay, cool. As offsets to not doing Hall of Flowers. So yeah. We That's can have good. some B2B as just well. Just to have some, yeah. And to, you know, just have some unity in the in the space as well because this is such a communal – the plan is a communal thing. It always has been. I'll tell a story about my, my kid's mother. Um, her father is a germaphobe. He's a Russian man from, from – they're from Uzbekistan. And uh, he's a super germaphobe. And she remembers that, like, even as a kid, he smokes. He's actually in the business. He was a shop owner and, and still has a pre-ICO in, in the South Bay. And uh, she remembers that he would pass a joint. She remembers, like, early memories of him passing a joint when she was a kid. And she thought it was the oddest thing ever because her dad was this man that was, like, wouldn't even touch somebody or shake their hand and was super, but he would, like... Hand a joint. Yeah, he wouldn't kiss her. Like, he had, like, he had like w social uh, anxiety about germs and uh passing a joint was a thing so it's definitely a communal thing and uh getting back to that i just want to say that uh it'll be nice to have some community back together because we don't get to social distancing and whatnot yep i agree yeah uh when when do you think the the new facility is going to be up and kicking what's uh, your timeline on it so the facility in coalinga we're shooting for um may 1st okay uh that's you know uh, providing all city inspections and all those Everything things go well. correctly. Um, we also recently um, are very recently we're taking over a, a grow that's up in Oakland. Uh, we will be hopefully putting some some of our our products out through that as well. So that might end up 
coming to market sooner through there than the facility we're finishing. Yeah. Um, it's an ever-changing, ever-evolving landscape, and companies are, are working with each other. That brings me back to the culture we're doing with Jason Washington um, and Matt Morgan. It's basically a management group. Yeah. And we are able to provide uh, structure and experience to operators who find themselves in a situation where they're lacking. So. Awesome. And that's, uh, yeah, shout out Culture. What's the Instagram for Culture? It's, it's uh, Culture with a K, Culture Global. Culture.global. Yeah, and that's going to be a big group, guys, because, I mean, obviously with Matt on board and, and, and these guys heading up the cultivation department, it's got some good people that know what they're doing and are, I guess, here to help. We are. Good. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. I'm glad that you guys could make it out in this uh, this weird climate here in Southern California. Uh, all the people listening, thanks. Stay safe and uh, have hope. Thank you. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs>